0: Hello everyone. This week I have a guest that I met virtually at a kind of conference or workshop kind of thing about connection. I have a friend who is also a listener, Alyssa, and she works with Conscious Capitalism St. Paul in Minnesota. And she'll invite me to her events every once in a while and I try to attend. So it was probably about 11 o'clock at night my time here in London and there was this talk about connectivity between people so I joined and I was sent this website called Anthem and the idea was that you get asked prompts about events in your life and you match a song to them and why and what we did was in that workshop then divide into groups and all talked about the different songs we chose and it was really interesting because when you give people ways to talk about themselves that are not just like, hey, tell me about yourself or some non-specific prompt. You end up learning a lot about them. And we each chose such different songs for everything. And it was really fun. And it was just surprising how quickly you could connect with someone when you do that. And so Brian Moore, the guest, is the co-founder of Anthem. And we're going to talk about his company, but also just about what got him there. What I loved about talking to Brian, and there are quite a few things, but he just the importance of people and culture and how that works and that's really important to him and it's something that I've studied and that I've thought a lot about and really like to instill in places I work or at least in teams I'm on I don't always do a great job because of things like maybe a temper or (laughs) stress but I try and I just I like companies that have a good culture and they're ones I follow and I don't know, I just I really liked learning from him and talking to him. He's also a music lover and I just think anyone who I can connect with on that level is is a lot of fun to talk to. Also, he's a deadhead. I hope that's okay to call him that. He follows the Grateful Dead, I think that's the right thing. Um, I don't have a name for what I am, but I definitely follow Elton John around. I've got tickets two more to two more shows of his he announced his last tour, which I got a little choked up about, quite frankly, but So I've seen him over 40 times and I don't know the exact number, but I know it's over 40. So I've got two more tickets to see him and Brian followed the dead around and I've seen other people a lot. So it was just fun to talk a little bit about music. And then he talks about conscious capitalism, which I just mentioned that term earlier. So I didn't know exactly what that meant. I knew what I felt like it meant, but he helps define that and really Makes it more tangible as far as my understanding. So I hope you enjoy learning more about that and learning more about Brian. But um, again, it's just another, you know, fun one, fun conversation for me to have. And I'm really glad to share it with you and really appreciate Brian taking the time to chat with me. So that's it. Just again, I always ask, but if you can review, like, share episodes with friends, let me know if you know of someone who'd be a good guest. More than work pod at gmail.com is where you can send information to me and I'd love to hear from you enjoy the show welcome to more than work the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title I'm Rabia an IT project manager comedian nonprofit volunteer and sometimes activist Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. Welcome back. I have a guest that I actually met because he was presenting at a conference that I was at with his company and with his product. And I really just liked what he had to say. And I wanted to share more about that on more than work. So it's co founder and CEO Brian Moore of, of Anthem. How you doing, Brian?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. So do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? Sure, happy to. Brian Moore, co-founder and CEO of Anthem.
1: I'll actually share what I believe to be the most important things first. A really, really uh, proud husband of my wife, Jackie, just celebrated 22 years. An incredibly lucky father of two teenage girls, a 16 and a 14-year-old, a very passionate and devoted conscious capitalist, and which might come as no surprise to you, a huge music enthusiast. So those are those are a little bit about more of who I am, how that translates to What I do for a living, I have been in the people culture HR space for coming up on 22 years now, and last year partnered with uh, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Goki to launch a company called Anthem A N T H Y M, and it at its core Anthem is a storytelling platform, and we use the power of personal storytelling. Combined with a variety of different inspirational media sources like music and books and movies and TV shows and podcasts and TED Talks and things like that to uh, help people take a walk down their life's memory lane and catalog some of the more meaningful moments and memories uh, that have happened to them and then symbolize those moments and memories using those inspirational media sources as a way to help people, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, create bridges of connection and surface some of the uncommon commonalities that often exist, as well as celebrate the differences that we all share as individuals in the workplace. So it's a a great way to build team cohesion and harness the power of vulnerability-based trust by helping teammates really get to know one another Uh, on a much deeper level than the, I guess, normal or more traditional water cooler type conversations that occur in the workplace. So happy to talk more about that, but that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So the event I was at, I mean, we basically were using Anthem and then we discussed our songs in in smaller groups. Right. It was just really cool because I'm also a big music person and I do think that music has defined a lot for me you know throughout the years and, and there are definitely like songs that i relate to events are you like a someone who made mixtapes when you were young and did you do that whole thing? <laughs> i made mixtapes when
1: i was a kid which then transitioned to uh, mix cd's and also i'm really lucky i or at least i consider myself lucky i discovered the grateful dead in high school and when jerry garcia was still alive and a big part of the grateful dead community is tape trading. And so one of the other hobbies that I just threw myself into was trading cassette tapes and capturing recordings of live Grateful Dead concerts dating back to their inception in 1965 up through the time that Jerry Garcia died in 1995. So I still to this day have probably four or 500 cassette tapes that are still in pristine condition granted I don't have a cassette player anymore but <laughs> I still have all the tapes I couldn't bring myself to throw them away because they have they hold such a a special part of, of my history and so to your point I haven't met anybody in my life that hates music if they're out there I'd, I'd love to know what it is that uh, really rubs them the wrong way about it I know there are others like you and I who may love it more than other folks but I think music, couple things that I've recognized the power that music has. One is it's a universal language. Even if what you and I listen to are different, music speaks to each of us in such a powerful way. And even if the music you listen to is different than mine, that feeling that each of us get based on our connectivity to it is a shared feeling despite Mm -hmm. differences in musical taste we might have. And then number two I think almost unlike any other media source, when when I hear a song that reminds me of a memory, it's like a time machine. I go right back to that time and place instantaneously. And I don't know that there's any other medium, maybe a Polaroid photo or a photograph, but it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to time travel and music has that that magic. And and that's what I love about it as well.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And it was a fun exercise to do because it was just kind of with the prompts that you have and stuff and we'll talk more about the product of Anthem but I want to talk first about how you got there and how you got to this because one thing that I think resonated with me regarding you is just the fact that you have been in your career like you know you consider people and culture and values very important and I think those weren't necessarily all words that people were using a lot like even 20 years ago at least from what I remember like culture has really become more and more of a thing over time. And in your career, did you start out thinking, well, I want to be really involved with the people and I want to make sure the values are being upheld and the culture is important and all that? Or is that something you evolved to?
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's a great question. At the very beginning of my career, I didn't know, you know, I I didn't know anything. And in many ways, I still don't know a whole lot, but I know a little bit more than I did when I started. But I had no idea or, or any connection to the power of shared values, the power of having a North star or a core purpose or mission, the power of culture. Like I I was as a, a, a total rookie understanding of all of that. And after about five years of, you know, the beginning of my career, the first five years working in and around a particular industry that it was awesome. It got me started. But after a period of time, I knew that that wasn't where I wanted to stay And I, just right place, right time in my life, joined a startup organization uh, right at the beginning of the year 2000 that uh, was focused in the employment recruiting space. And we had an amazing founder CEO that really understood the power of culture and the power of shared values and helped me understand it at a very tactical, practical level. And through that experience, I think just opened my eyes to what It can be, and then I just became a, you know, a student of it and have continued since that time. So what is that? 21 years ago, almost 22 Mm -hmm. years ago.
0: So then when you started out there at that company and started being opened up to these ideas, were you in h r at that point, or what function were you in?
1: I wasn't i you know other than one short stint in my career, I've never been i guess technically in an h r capacity. I've mm-hmm. always been in really a business development capacity and i'd I'd like to think that I've got some you know above average leadership qualities as well or you know, hiring great people, aligning them around shared values and a common purpose, and then doing what I can to serve them the best that I know how to help them develop both personally and professionally. I'd, I'd like to think is something that I've got some skills in. I've been told so. So, you know, using uh, folks that I've had the the pleasure to work with, uh, share some kind words with me. But yeah, so I've never been in a, with the exception of a short stint, an HR you know, a practical or tactical HR role. It's always been in, in, in much more of a business development, sales and marketing kind of position.
0: Mm-hmm. And what made you decide then to go and like found your own company versus working elsewhere?
1: Well, I, I got a real taste of the, the whole entrepreneurial startup excitement joining that company in in early 2000. And I really loved it and was there for almost 11 years And then I went and uh, worked for a pretty large company, a publicly traded, you know, 20 plus thousand employee company. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those sort of, you know, forks in the road or or turning points. I was like, oh, my God, I just I made a really bad decision. I Mm -hmm. left this entrepreneurial minded startup, joined a publicly traded company with thousands and thousands of people and very quickly realized that the mistake I made, it was my mistake I didn't fit in culturally. And so after that experience, I then reconnected with that entrepreneurial feeling that I think I had, but didn't know was really there and then launched really my true first business in March of 2012. Did that for about six years, sold my interest in that business to my business partner, and then have launched Anthem uh, as my second startup business, which we're about a year into. So, you know, I, I think, again, that, that first experience dating back to April of 2000 and that company that I joined, that's where that whole entrepreneurial bug just got in my system. And yeah, I guess I haven't been able to shed that virus, uh, to use a really bad analogy at this yeah. time and place in human Thanks. history.
0: Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so before you were vaccinated in 2012, <laughs> and, and when you were working for the big company, I mean, one thing that, you know, this podcast is certainly about is talking through those difficult experiences people have that they come out of. And so did how did it happen for you? I mean, were you actually kind of self-assured enough that you were okay being in that grind and then just moving out of it? Or did you have like a rough time and have one of those moments where you're like, okay, I just can't do this anymore. Like, how did that happen for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I want to make sure I understand the question you're referring to that, uh, that stint I had in the, Mm -hmm. in the bigger company. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, once I got there, it didn't take long for me to start to get a real sense of how things worked and, you know, no disrespect to that organization whatsoever, but you know, with that many people and with the board of directors representing the shareholders and introducing that dynamic into the equation, you know, there's just a lot of bureaucracy and politics that can seep in. And I'm not one that just, I have a hard time with it. I don't, enjoy playing games, particularly as I like playing like board games and competitive sports games, but not the mind games that can oftentimes infiltrate a corporate environment. And, you know, that worrying about who I need to get close to because they're the person of influence or wondering if this person is talking behind so-and-so's back, like just all of that unproductive stuff, you know, I, I think to some degree is part and parcel with really, really big companies. It's, it's hard. And, you know, at the risk of sounding overly judgmental, I just, I don't deal well in that environment. So I figured out pretty quick that that came with the territory. And so I just know myself well enough to know that I don't thrive there. So it wasn't, it was maybe a couple months in where I was like, all right, I'm going to be leaving at some point. And mm-hmm. it's a matter of when and what am I going to go do? And it took me a while to figure it out, but I did. And I'm happier for it. And that that organization's better off without me just as much. Right. I didn't fit yeah. like it was a two way street.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And I guess what I like about this is you knew yourself well enough to know it wasn't you. That was the problem. It was just that it wasn't a good fit. I just yeah. talked to someone. Yeah, because I do like some mentorship stuff and here and there. And I talked to someone just yesterday that she had left her company because it just she couldn't do well there. But she took it personally, like that it was a problem with her. And I explained to her, no, it's just that it's not a good fit for you. And this doesn't mean there's a deficiency in you. Now, maybe you have things about yourself to improve. Everyone does, but it's not a deficiency in you. And that's so hard for people to get. Did you already at that point kind of have your values defined then really well that you knew? Or did you not realize it, but you had them?
1: You know, I think I was circling them. Mm -hmm. But to say I had them incredibly well defined with corresponding behaviors of what I think they look like in action, I did not have well defined, but I was definitely circling them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 2018 I went through a really impactful leadership academy. It was a year long program called the Stagen Leadership Academy. It's a group out of Dallas, Texas. And I went through a program called the Integral Leadership Program, the ILP for short. And uh, a big through line throughout the entire year of that program was each member of the cohort worked on his or her personal core purpose and personal core values. And, you know, it. Took a year. It it really did. And in many ways, I think it's going to continue to evolve Um, of what, you know, what, what I think are the most important things in my life. You know, as I've kind of ascended to different stages of life when I was single versus married, without kids versus married with kids, now married with kids who are teenagers where they rely slightly less on mom and dad than they did when they were little. I don't know. It's interesting. Each stage of life brings with it. I think new trade-offs like you shed some skin, but then you develop new skin. And with that, you know, I'm kind of taking a peek at, are these the values that still matter most to me? Do I feel like I'm in, in alignment with my North star, my purpose as well? And I, I, I think about it perhaps more than maybe the average person that that's the kind of person I am. I like to go internal and think about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes the hamster never gets off the wheel, which can be (laughs) frustrating, but, you know, such is life.
0: Yeah. And looking at then your values and how you apply them in your life. And I think we all apply them in our personal and professional lives. And they kind of what we choose to do professionally sometimes is a result of that, too. Right. Yeah. How have you seen a change or have you seen a change since you? kind of figured that out for yourself in the last couple of years.
1: It, it makes for me, I have seen a change. It just makes decision making easier. I think like many folks, I can suffer from the bright, shiny object syndrome and want to chase all kinds of opportunities when they emerge. But if if I bounce those opportunities off of, does this align to where I want to be spending my time? And are the is the opportunity and or the people that come with this opportunity align to the values that are important to me. If yes, okay, maybe I'll investigate it. If no, it makes it a much easier decision. Mm -hmm. So I think more than anything, it's a decision-making filter that just can really help keep me on track with, with, with the values and with the purpose.
0: Yeah. So one thing I've noticed is you're on quite a few boards of different organizations. And that's something that just personally interests me, but I'm always interested in why people are on certain boards and what, but the one I want to talk about the most, I guess, is conscious capitalism. And yeah. can you, cause that's a term where, I mean, we hear things like, you know, you vote with your dollar. Like that's a thing that I think the people, the consumers do right to like, kind of say, maybe if you think about your consciousness and, and the products you purchase or even what you eat or whatever, But then there's also the idea of it being on the business side, too. So can you just talk about what conscious capitalism is to you and maybe how it's defined in your organization?
1: Yeah, I mean, so conscious capitalism, it it is a framework of how to think about what at least I think currently is the highest and best practice of the capitalistic system. I tend to define it as... Okay, how is conscious capitalism different from what most people think of when they think of capitalism? I think the current practice of capitalism in the minds of many tends to be very shareholder focused Mm -hmm. and very short term horizon focused, making decisions on a quarterly basis for the benefit of the shareholders at the expense of everybody else, right? And maybe that's an overly crude definition, but I don't think it's that far off of the bullseye in the minds of many. By contrast, conscious capitalism is using a long-term decision-making horizon, getting out of this quarterly you know, flavor of the quarter and making decisions only to benefit a stock price or a group of shareholders, and instead thinking long-term really aligning decision-making to that North star and the purpose of why the organization exists while also doing everything possible that the leaders can do to make decisions to benefit the entire stakeholder ecosystem. So that means shareholders, absolutely, or the owners or the investors, but also the employees, the clients, the vendors, the suppliers, the community, the environment, right? Every business relies on many pieces within its ecosystem to operate and it's challenging to make great decisions that benefit all, but not even engaging in the practice of trying to create win-wins for all stakeholders. I think it's just a missed opportunity. You mm-hmm. can always create a benefit for one of your stakeholders by pulling a lever that might play the zero-sum game. Take from this group to give to this group. The more difficult way to practice capitalism is to balance the needs of all of the stakeholders that Operate within the business's ecosystem, and make decisions that are hopefully in the best interests of all or as many of them as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's what conscious capitalism really revolves around: is this notion that you know we aren't playing a game with necessarily a deadline. Next quarter doesn't you know it's just an imaginary deadline. So why Mm -hmm. are we making decisions just for next quarter? Let's really align our decision making to why we exist as a business, and then in those Mm -hmm. decisions that we make. Let's make sure that we're trying to create value for everyone within the business's ecosystem, not just one group at the expense of another.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm actually taking a course right now. That's going to be like come up to being a year and a half at some point, like a public leadership credential at Harvard Kennedy. And it's basically discussing moral leadership and then it's going to be more around policy and stuff. But Already in the moral leadership space, I've learned so much about just putting the issue at the center and the focus at the center, and also making trade-offs and moral trade-offs. So what you're saying is pretty exciting to me because I'm hearing like a application in the real world, right?
1: Well, and it's important too, right? Because you know, if capitalism, understandably, has a bit of a PR and a reputation problem right now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of problems in the world, and oftentimes folks can very easily point the finger at the system, at the capitalistic system, that the mm-hmm. system is responsible for all the, the wealth gap that exists, the lack that there's a livable you know, minimum wage and the lack of gender equality in leadership, and leadership. And the list goes on and on. I'm not trying to call out no. any one particular issue. There are a lot of problems. I would make the argument that the system is, not perfect. Capitalism isn't perfect, but it's the people making the decisions inside of the system that cause the challenges or the problems. It's not the system itself. The system itself is actually a really good system. It's based on voluntary exchange. Nobody forces you to buy the t-shirt you bought or the microphone you bought or subscribe to the technology like nobody's making you buy from the companies you buy from Mm -hmm. nobody makes you go work for the company you go work for nobody makes a vendor or supplier you know have to work with a vendor or a client that sucks Mm -hmm. so it's based on this amazing voluntary exchange and also anybody in the world who operates in a capitalistic society can go start a business. There's no barrier to entry. If you've got a great idea and you've got the resilience and the stamina and the, you know, the support to make it happen, go do it. Like it's, it, it really is a beautiful system. It has flaws, but mm-hmm. at its core, it's a beautiful system. I think at the end of the day, while capitalism isn't a perfect system, it's not the problem. And as a society, we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and mm-hmm. we probably shouldn't because I would make the argument that capitalism's okay. It certainly has room for improvement, but it's the folks who ascend to positions of leadership and power that make decisions that cast a, a fairly big shadow on capitalism. And that's the piece that, you know, that, that's where we need to draw our attention not that the system needs to be you know, thrown out.
0: We need business and business can be good. And one guest I talked to was telling me this whole thing about the bad businesses was a big, big thing. And it's a big talking point. But, you know, so she tries to, in her community, she's a head of a chamber of commerce. And, you know, actually in Minnesota, in St. Paul, and was talking about how, you know, business can contribute to the city and can contribute to what's going on there. And I, I agree with that. So how I understand conscious capitalism, and I want you to tell me like the practice of it, but how I understand it is things like carbon neutrality and trying to, you know, do like better practices for the environment. And then also like Bombas, for example, socks, which is one of my favorite, they're my favorite socks, basically, you know, they give a pair away and then other companies doing things like in the community like service or building infrastructure and stuff like that. Is that part of what conscious capitalism is?
1: So conscious capitalism isn't necessarily meant to be prescriptive of how a business chooses to uh, conduct its activities. What conscious capitalism really is at its core is a set of four main principles or tenets number one is that business should be organized around a higher purpose. There should be a reason for the business's existence beyond the more, I guess, relied upon motivation of profit maximization. There should be a higher purpose behind the business. So that's, and these are in no particular order, but we'll say number one, higher purpose. Number two, it should have a stakeholder orientation. It should seek to create value for all of the different uh, players within its ecosystem, not just the owners or the investors or the shareholders. Number okay. three is the leaders should be focusing on their own development and not just horizontal development, not adding more skills and and tools and educational experiences to their skill set, but also their own vertical development to do that inner work to think about who they are, the impact in the world that they want to have, the impact that they want to have with the people that they surround themselves with, and and constantly seeking to grow as much vertically and kind of upgrading their operating system as much as horizontally and adding new programs like a new version of Microsoft Word or whatever. And then fourth and final is creating conscious cultures. So these types of leaders then tend to set an example for other folks to follow their lead. Whether or not carbon neutrality and a livable wage and eliminating the wealth gap and just any of these other social issues of the day, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're unimportant, mm-hmm. but conscious capitalism doesn't say, hey, company ABC, you must focus on reducing your carbon footprint. That's mm-hmm. something the company to focus on. The company can choose whether or not mm-hmm. carbon... Uh, neutrality is something that matters to them. So it's, it, in many ways, I think conscious capitalism is really a framework and a way of thinking about the practice of capitalism without being prescriptive of this is what you must do as a business.
0: That could just be like a way that they, one of the things they do and it could be, yeah. Bunch of different stuff. yeah. I mean, think about like if you
1: are a consulting company and you're, you're in management consulting, let's say you're Deloitte, whatever, KPMG, any of the big uh, management consulting firms out there. Let's make an assumption that the majority of their team right now is working from home. And so there's yeah. not a lot of commuting going on. They're probably not getting on planes a lot. Is Is it important for KPMG to be focused on reducing their carbon footprint? That might not be as important to them. And I'm not suggesting that it isn't, but a list of things that they might want to focus their energy on. Maybe that's not the one. Maybe they can have a bigger impact focusing on gender equality and leadership Mm -hmm. because of what they do. So I think it's up to each company to think about what matters most to them, what's in alignment with why they exist, and where can they create the most value using the platform that they have. Patagonia is a great example. They're obviously huge stewards of our environment. And they operate around this notion of wanting to leave the earth better than they found it. So Carbon neutrality is probably a huge focus for them. But for conscious capitalism to say, hey, Patagonia, you should do this. And hey, Deloitte, you should do this. Conscious capitalism would rather create the framework and then allow the businesses to adopt the framework and exercise what they're best at and focus on the problems that they think they can create the the biggest amount of impact and value.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So it can look a lot of different ways. Totally, totally, totally. So So hopefully that
1: makes sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, It makes a lot of sense to me. And it's good to get just more information around these things because I think one thing that a lot of people, from what I can tell, are starting to look for is companies that reflect their values. I mean, and that's one of the points of this podcast is like, Mm -hmm. we have to work, but you can work in a place that reflects your values or not, or where you can do work that does that. Like for me, my company is pretty cool because they know I have other activities and then sometimes they know also like when we had the national day of service in the U S even though I'm in the UK, I work with a lot of U S people. My CEO let me talk to the company for a minute and say, Hey guys, you guys have Monday off, but also it's this day. So here are some resources I'd encourage everyone to do something. And he didn't have to do that. He could have just been like, Robbie, I don't need your, you know, social like whatever messages to come here. But he instead said, yeah, you know what? This is important to someone who works here. And it's important to other people and in their communities, so do it. And I felt like that was just like a small way of him allowing that, even though our company doesn't do much in community in general, you know? Yep. So it's kind of cool to yeah. be able to work in a place like that. Absolutely. So with Anthem, let's talk about that more. And first of all, I'm going to make an assumption that you, your teams know what the values are of your company.
1: So it's actually really easy because right now we are still very, very early in our journey. There are two of us as co-founders. We've got a, a small team of some technology uh, folks who have, who help us on the tech side. And then we have a, a essentially a user experience individual that wears lots and lots of hats <laughs> and is really a kind of a jack of many trades. So at the moment, it's really, really easy for us because it's so tiny. One of the absolutely mission critical pieces of work that we're going to need to really document well are our core values. I think there are going to be you know, one or two that are absolute non-negotiables that come from Jeremy and I. He's my co-founder. But I also am a believer that you know, those first handful of full-time employees that choose to come work for us. I want those folks to have a say in it as well. So I think it would be a bit, I'd be a little nervous about me defining them, all of them without Mm -hmm. this first group of folks that join us and them having a say in it. So I want, I want to do it in a, in a, as much of a consensus process as I can. Uh, without losing focus on at least, you know, the one or two that I think are just absolutely mission critical to what we're trying to do in the world.
0: Do you want to share what one or two of those are?
1: Just yeah, I mean, I've, for for me, at the top of the list is this notion of vulnerability. You know, I think we could use a lot more of it in the world. And where so many people see it as a weakness, I see it as a strength. So that's going to be one that you know we are going to, you know, create an environment where people can truly open up and be who they are. And that doesn't mean we're going to throw out the rules of decorum and how we should treat one another with respect. It doesn't mean it's a total free for all, but this notion of recognizing that we are so much more than just the job titles that might decorate our LinkedIn profiles, right? We're human beings that have lived really unique lives, each one of us individually and wanting folks to not feel like they have to put on a different suit of armor when they go to work to sort of armor up for what might come their way. I want people to, to feel very comfortable in their own skin and uh, and just show up as, as, as who they truly are. I think the world needs more of that. So that's for sure at the absolute top. And then kind of following that is this notion of kind of plays off of it as vulnerability-based trust. I mean, trust I think is at the core of every amazing team that's ever done anything remarkable. And without it, I think it's virtually impossible, if not completely impossible to to deliver performance over a sustained period of time. So those are going to be a couple of non-negotiables for me. And, you know, I think there's going to be you know, a handful of others that will emerge with, you know, whomever this founding group is that decides to join us on this journey.
0: Yeah. And that I mean, that gets evoked in a product, too, then, I think, you know, when you have yep. those things. And then are you a Brene Brown fan?
1: Well, I mean, it's hard not to be, isn't it?
0: Okay. I was going to say I heard some Renee yeah. Brown and I yeah. was like I love her. I mean I absolutely adore that woman. I think it's, Dare to Lead is one of the most It's great. Yeah. She's
1: great. I I love her definition of vulnerability too, you know, the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I love that. I think I don't know. For me personally, I'm biased. I mean if if, if I could surround myself with only people like that, I'm all in. That'd be great. Yeah. It'd be really great. Yeah.
0: And when you think about hiring and and what's going to be done with that, I mean, I've studied a lot about hiring lately and what that looks like, but is it a hard process for you? I mean, it seems like you, you'll you be really careful and methodical about.
1: I mean, that. we've certainly, yeah, we certainly will be. Will it be difficult? I think it will be actually. I think I hiring is always hard. I think it's having quite a few years in the hiring space. I think it's the most important decision every company makes is who do they You know, who do they attract and who do they allow in to the organization? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think people are the only sustainable competitive advantage that a business can surround its uh, kind of align to. That's it. It's people. You still need to have a good idea and good products, good strategy. You identify the right clients. But at the end of the day, none of those things happen without the right team of people. And so I think it's going to be really hard. I think we will make mistakes. I think we'll learn from them. You know, hopefully we get most of it right. I think, <laughs> I think we have a really cool mission that will excite people. And uh, we happen to have this, you know, whole aspect of music being one of the inspirational media sources. That's a big part of what we're doing right now that I think because music is such a unifying force and, and an exciting one that it'll bring people out to uh, at least kick the tires and see what Anthem is all about. So Mm -hmm. my hope is, is that what we do and why we do it will be a bit of a magnet, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Regardless, it's going to be hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, just to get the right people, the people who you're right for and and are right for you. I mean, that's the trick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally is.
0: Who are the ideal Anthem customers? Like if someone's hearing this and going, all right, I like music. I like connection. What's Anthem doing for me?
1: Yeah, I mean, ideal client right now is really a team leader. So I'll I'll focus more on like who the actual person is versus the organization Mm -hmm. is a team leader that cares deeply about his or her team, wants to find ways to create ongoing and deepening opportunities for relationship, trust, and connection building amongst the members of the team that they lead and believes that building vulnerability-based trust and psychological safety is an accelerator of performance. So because of where we've been as a, as a business community over the last year or 15 months as a result of the pandemic... You know, there's this added degree of difficulty now where you've got a lot of organizations whose teammates don't see each other in person at the level that they perhaps grew accustomed to. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of the geographic or physical distance that exists nowadays, it's hard to go do an escape room or go bowling or go, you know, do a happy hour with your team in person. Hopefully that will return. But even when that returns, I think interestingly, at least for me, this pandemic and this, this crazy world that we've all been experiencing, I think has opened up the door to our humanity in a way that uh, we've never experienced at this level of scale where, I mean, I can, I'm, we're on this podcast, but we can Mm -hmm. see each other through video. So if I just pay attention a little bit to some of the things behind you, right? I can see the guitar neck. I can see what looks to be a bicycle over your left shoulder. If I pay attention, I can start to get a sense of more of who you are than if we only saw each other in the office. And I think so as a result of having this unintentional invitation into everybody's homes over the last year, we can now begin to kick that door to humanity open even wider and actually start to invite in that sense of humanness that all of us have and take advantage of the gift, you know the small gift that the pandemic brought to us. You know, I don't mean to minimize all the challenge no. and the loss and the tragedy. The gift wrapping sucked, but inside there were a few gifts that this pandemic brought to us. And I mm-hmm. think that door to humanity is one of them. And I think there are leaders out there of teams who are going to want to capitalize on that and believe that Wow, if I can bring my team closer together, if I can create more trust, if I can create more connection, if I can create more safety, I can likely increase productivity, increase retention, and everybody wins. The clients we serve win, us as teammates win, the business wins. There's no losers. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, we spend, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours a day with our work colleagues, why would we not take advantage of creating more meaningful relationships? Not that we're going to be best friends with all of them, but to at least see them more for who they really are, not just what they do. Like, why not do that? There's no downside. At least I don't see it. And and so I'm a bit long-winded on a really short question that you asked, who's the ideal client? Leaders who have any resonance with what I just shared, you are the ideal client. You yeah. lead a team and you want to help your team do great work and live meaningful lives. Relationships are a huge part of that. So why not take advantage of the opportunity to help your team create more meaningful ones amongst one another?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's all kinds of team building exercises and things that people learn. and But I, I did find, I mean, in a very what like an hour using Anthem and just kind of thinking through a few, you know, milestones in my life and like what songs went with them. And then hearing what other people ask, they're being asked, like the same situations, what songs was it for them? I mean, you do learn a lot about a person and, you know, big time. Yeah. And it's yeah. pretty cool.
1: I'm biased, but I agree,
0: yeah
1: <laughs> I think the short you know we've all heard this saying the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Mm-hmm. I think the shortest distance between two people is a personal story nothing 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 bonds people more quickly than sharing a personal story and it could be a happy story, a sad story, whatever, just a story, something that is revealing of of who you are,
0: yeah, well, yeah, and that vulnerability is tough sometimes because. I know for me, like I will share because it's just kind of, I feel like it's part of my purpose is to serve others, partly through sharing my story. That's just what I've sorted out in the last like 42 years. So I do think, though, that that's the vulnerability, right? That's creating a huge vulnerability for you, because what if you tell them and then it's not received? And usually it will be when you have used Anthem. Have you ever been surprised by one of your songs? My experience with it was there were prompts like what? song reminds you of your high school graduation and things like that. Did you ever have a song come to mind that just surprised you?
1: I mean, uh, yes, but no. So having two teenage daughters, my oldest daughter on one of our drives to California for uh, summer vacation, it's about a five and a half hour drive from where we live in Phoenix to get to San Diego. So that tends to be a, a, a relatively easy place to get to and escape the summer heat here mm-hmm. in Arizona. You know, I'll crank on a Spotify channel and a musical play and uh, whatever Spotify channel I had on the song that came on was TLC, uh, the song waterfalls don't go chasing waterfalls stick to the, yeah. Yeah. So that song. So for those of you, uh, I'm not much of a singer.
0: I was impressed. I was like, Oh gosh, I'm (laughs) glad I didn't do that. Well, so that song came on and I hadn't heard it
1: in, 15, 20 years, right? But it was a song that uh, was definitely around when I was growing up. So at the time, my daughter, my oldest daughter, you know, I could see her in the backseat kind of bopping her head and she's yeah. like coming along to it. And I'm like, you like the song, Taylor? And she's like, I do. So, and, you know, I, I then look it up on Spotify and we po- probably played it on repeat, I don't know, 10 times till such point <laughs> yeah. where, we both learned the lyrics from start to finish. And now that song has become like this bonding moment for my oldest daughter and I. And it's not as if there was some major life moment that that corresponds to, mm-hmm. but it reminds me of this bonding moment between my daughter and I driving to California to go to summer vacation. And it's just a cool moment and a song yeah. that was, it's old. It's not my typical what I would listen to. It sure as heck isn't what she listens to, Mm -hmm. but we have a connection around that tune. So it's now on Taylor and Dad's playlist. I was very surprised of all the songs that, you know, might be a song that we'd bond over. TLC's Waterfalls would not have made my (laughs) top 100, but here we are.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So one thing that... I think is great is that you've done a Ted talk and that's just something. First of all, I am one of those people who has, if you haven't done the punchline, thank you for coming to my Ted talk <laughs> when you're basically kind of being a little snarky, but <laughs> how just, I want to know, well, first of all, you can talk a little bit about this subject. I thought it was pretty cool. Can you talk about the experience of doing that? I don't think I've ever talked with someone who's done a Ted talk.
1: Well, uh, let me clarify. It was a TEDx talk because I think the okay. experience is probably quite different as opposed to being on the main main TED stage. I think I, I, I have to assume it's it's a little bit different, but there is definitely some stringency to the process, or at least the one that I went through. There was an application process. I don't know how many people applied. They chose eight of us to present. It was through one of the universities here in the Phoenix area. They were the the TED licensee that was able to, you know, basically get the license to, to, to deliver these local TEDx events that happened. That whole process was really, really interesting, actually. So they made me go through an application process where I had to record a short two-minute video. Mm-hmm. And the question that they made every applicant respond to, to record a video to, was, if you were going to be a fruit, what fruit would you be? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, Oh my God. All right. That's interesting. Right. It's one of those, like an obscure interview question that
0: yeah, whatever.
1: Yeah. Right. So I gave it a whole lot of thought and I ended up recording this really fun video around why I would choose to be a grape primarily because I love red wine so much. I was so ask, it, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd become a, I'd be a banana. So I could be a phone. There you go. Yeah. So right. Like just cool,
1: yeah. like besides the wine piece, I thought it was really cool. I added this other element. So grapes are pretty universal. What I really loved about it was I'm like, and even when grapes get old and wrinkled and all, you know, used up, they turn into raisins. So like, yeah. Yeah, you still have a useful life. So it's was this really fun video I put together around cool. why I chose to be a grape. So I got picked, which was super cool. And then uh, the next step in the process is you have to submit your topic. And the topic that I submitted was around leadership. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you submit the topic, it was probably was about a three month lead time before the actual TEDx event. About three weeks after I submitted my topic, I was delivering a presentation to uh, uh, an association. And this fascinating experience happened during the presentation that was totally wild. It was all around this notion. I asked this question of the group and broke them up into small little breakout groups. And this was was in 2018. So we were still meeting in person at the time. The question that I asked everyone just to kick things off was, if you could uninvent any past invention in the world, what would you uninvent and why? And so the groups all got together and started chatting at their tables and getting to know each other through the answer to this question. And as I brought the group back together and you know kind of did a little bit of a debrief, the room almost unanimously there's probably I don't know 80 people in the room I don't remember exactly almost unanimously everybody said that they would uninvent the smartphone mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy cow like what is it about a this room where there's such unanimity in their answer and why the smartphone because uh, I love my phone, like it's so convenient, right? To have this supercomputer in, in our pockets. Well, come to find out, as you might guess, so many folks were in that room were really worried about screen time and how disconnected people are feeling one, from one another. Our attention spans have been reduced to you know seconds, and in many ways, it's just it's a big distraction. So. Because of this really crazy experience I had, three weeks after I submitted my topic, I reached out to the TEDx folks and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to like render me disqualified from the event, but I'd like to change my speaking topic, which I was worried was a big no-no. Thankfully, the new topic that I presented, they liked better than the leadership topics. So uh, that's the one I ended up doing. And it was... It was a really cool experience. I worked with a a student group and had one particular student, a senior at this university, was kind of like my liaison. And they had a really rigid structure that I had to check in every week. I had to do follow all these steps like to a T. And I made the decision not to use any PowerPoint slide Mm or any kind of slides. And, uh, you know, ended up delivering from memory a 12, 13, 14 minute, whatever the time was, talk. So it was... It was one of the most challenging yet rewarding experiences to be able to, to get up on a stage and from memory, rattle off 14 minutes of content exactly at, as I had rehearsed it in my head. So it was, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And I'm glad yeah. I did it. I don't know if I can do it again, but I'm glad I did it.
0: Once. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's really cool. And I'll, I'll link to it on my site. But I just right. I thought that was neat. And one of those things where I don't think everybody has it in them to do it. In a way, it's just a different way of communicating. And It is a lot. I think the process that I went through,
1: anybody could do it if they wanted to. It's just a matter of, do you have a topic that you're really passionate about? And then are you willing to commit the time to go through the the, the rigor of at least the way this TEDx process unfolded for me? I think, you, I think anybody could do it. It's just a matter of want. Do they really want it? And uh, it was just one of those bucket list items for me. It's like, yeah, I, I want to do a TEDx talk, at least one.
0: Yeah. Oh, you did it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I want to ask you about specific to career stuff is you have a a book that you co-authored called Hiring on Purpose. Yep. And- Well, and then so how the why scouts method is revolutionizing the search for leaders, the whole title. Yep. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, from uh, from 2012 to 2018. uh, That was my first uh, business that I uh, co founded with a business partner. And it was a, or is a it still exists, I'm I'm proud to say, uh, a purpose based executive search practice. And through that experience of launching that business and delivering a new brand of executive search around purpose and values alignment, not just resume job description alignment, we learned just a ton of valuable lessons for how do you really hire leaders if you want to not only get someone that has the right skills, but actually, has that human alignment because the values and purpose matter to them at a at a really foundational level, and so the book we I, I co-authored with my business partner from the from the Y Scouts business, we just wanted to capture you know some of what we learned through that process, and that's what we did. It was thankfully we had a great partner, a company out of Austin, Texas called Scribe Media, that really helped us through the process because left to our own devices. I never, I'm not an author. We we, we needed their help to help us really organize the book, put it in a a logical flow, add the right stories to it, just do all that stuff. Mad respect for the authors out there who do it completely on their own and don't have any help. Uh, holy cow! I mean, we we'd, we'd have never been able to do it without help. So thankfully, we had we had a great company that we partnered with called Scribe that did a great job. So I'm glad I did it. I I don't think I'd ever do it again. But yeah, that's just another something out there that, that is, it was cool to do. It was cool to do.
0: Yeah, you went for it. Yeah, cool. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about music and just because I think that'd be fun with you and haven't talked to people about music very much lately. So. First of all, I also see that you have a guitar in the background. I do. So how long have you been playing guitar?
1: So I decided to go headfirst into learning how to play about five and a half years ago. I I dabbled with it when I was in college. A roommate had one and I'd pick it up and I'd try and futz around with it. But, you know, I I was Mm -hmm. terrible. But... I, I always wanted to learn how to play. And so about five and a half years ago, my daughters reached a point in in their life where they were spending quite a bit less time with me than they were when they were younger. And so I mm-hmm. found myself with, you know, a few extra hours on the weekend that wasn't necessarily devoted to, to them because they were off with friends and doing other things as they're getting older. And I'm like, you know what? I'm 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 gonna do this. I'm gonna really take this serious. I'm actually gonna commit and learn how to play mm-hmm. and uh, I love it. It's I play every single day. That's the nice. first thing I do in the morning. I wake up, I subscribe to a couple of different online, you know, uh, tutorial type services that have, you know, lesson of the day. They're in these little 15-20 minute chunks. And yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I I can't imagine life without music and playing guitar. It's just so meditative for me. Mm.
0: That's cool. Was there like a song goal that you've hit? Nah, not
1: particularly. It's it's interesting. Like there's different songs and different artists that I respect for different reasons. So, I'll, you know, it just I get inspired in different ways at different times. So, mm-hmm. you know, some songs are a little bit easier to play than others, but yeah, I'm I'm all over the place when it comes to to what I play. But what I have found is I really at least over the last year, I don't think I've touched any of my electric guitars. I only play my acoustic. And I don't know if that's a maturation process that's normal or not. I have no idea. The sound purity of an acoustic guitar is just so, it's just magical to my ears. Mm -hmm. It's just so pure. And, you know, just getting the electronics out of the way, not that that isn't a ton of fun and all the effects and cool things that you can do with the electric guitar There's just something so beautiful about, for me personally, the sound of of the acoustic. And I just, yeah, I just love playing.
0: Yeah, it's kind of nice. You just pick it up and it's just, it's all there. Yeah. Like there's nothing. Yeah, you don't have to flip anything on her. Yep. Yeah. So as far as concerts, like what's the last concert you went here.
1: so the last one i went to was in january of 2020 so before the pandemic so the lead guitar player from the band fish his name is uh-huh. trey anastasio he has a side band that he calls the trey anastasio band yeah they were here in the phoenix area it was in january of 2020 and i went with my wife and my brother and another buddy and that's the last live concert. I haven't been to a live concert yeah. since January of 2020. I'm, I'm starving, for one. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. It's crazy. It, uh, this is. I can't wait for this to to end so we can get back to seeing live music again.
0: I know. My last one, it was before I moved to London when I was still in L.A. I was at the Largo. I don't know if you've been to that room. I haven't. It's great. I like to go to different, like, find, like, the cool spots in different cities. And, yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, concert um, venues are so, like, to find different rooms, and the character of the room is so awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've not even
1: heard of the Largo. Where where so, in L.A. is it?
0: Uh, It's in, like, I know it's in, like, basically by like Hollywood, kind of, or something. Okay. I don't really small but, room um, or a big room? It's small and so it's, they have a lot of comedy there too. And like Colin Hay, do you know Colin Hay? Yeah, oh, actually I do. The lead from <laughs> then at work. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I yeah. absolutely adore him so much. And so he, I've seen him there, but I saw Ezra Furman that time and it was, okay. Ezra was doing just acoustic, which was amazing cause usually they're with a band and stuff. And that was really fun. The Largo's a really cool right place. Cause I remember when we were on that, that meeting together And you were talking about in Chicago, like, I guess the concert where you basically first went out with your wife, but that was like a cool room too. Although I was, I was intrigued by the romance of the situation being like single and in a pandemic at the time, I wasn't concerned with that. I was like, we're like, Oh, what venue was that?
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) That was the Aragon ballroom in downtown Chicago, which is a cool, that's a cool room as well. The acoustics can be a little hollow uh, at times, but it's, it's a cool room nonetheless, I'm sure they've probably done some work to it. I mean, that was back in 1997 when we went on that blind date that now has ended up in a 22 year and, and strong going strong marriage. But yeah, I love, I love great rooms, outdoor venues too. I mean, there's some great ones. Yeah. yeah so, for sure. so awesome. That Colin Hay, so interesting, you know, as I've been involved in Anthem and having this opportunity to learn about so many different bands and artists that I had never heard of. He's one of them. And yeah. There was a session that I facilitated about three weeks ago and one of the participants, does he have a song called like waiting for my life to begin? Okay.
0: Yes, waiting for my real life to begin. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thank you. So she told a story around uh, a moment in her life and that song was the symbolic song of the moment. And I immediately fell in love with the song because of the story she told. Mm -hmm. And so now every time I hear it, which isn't that often, but I've since listened to it, I think of her story, which is really, really cool. It's a a neat thing. It's a way to kind of associate meeting people for me because I get to meet so many different people now through what I get to do and hear about their life moments. And then these songs take on a whole different meaning for me, which is pretty wild.
0: Yeah, that is actually, because it's almost like it's almost like those learned memories or like, you know, when we're a kid and then we, we remember something, but it's really, we just heard the story so many times, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Well, yeah, I love him. So I'm, I'm glad you know about him. And then do you remember like what the first concert is that you went to? Or, oh, like, the absolutely. First one you, yeah.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Oh my God. I actually just told this story. It was this week. It was in 1987. It was at the Holiday Star Theater in Maryville, Indiana, And the headlining band, which was not who I went to go see, I went to go see the opening band, but I'll tell you the headlining band first was KISS without their makeup. So this was their unmasked tour, or at least one of them. I don't know how many tours they did without their costumes and their makeup, but 1987, I saw KISS unmasked, but I was really there to see a very heavy thrash metal band by the name of Anthrax.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was a
1: total metalhead as a kid and I wanted to go see Anthrax and my parents let me go, drop me off and then pick me up because I was, how old was I? I was 15. That was my first concert. Yeah. And I was, I was there to see Anthrax.
0: Did you have like the hair, like the long longer hair and stuff? I never or had really kinda...
1: yeah, I never had really long hair. I had a mullet, but not like long long hair, but I definitely had the mullet kicking, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. I
0: love it. That's a fun that's like so cool. It was great. You know? well, what was your first? Oh god, it like the first I remember going to my brother and I were visiting my grandma in Washington, Missouri and it was the state fair. And I really wanted to go like, she's like, Oh, you guys can go do whatever. Okay. I want to go to the concert. I thought it was so cool. And it was Eddie money. Nice. That's awesome. That's so funny. You mentioned
1: that. And I'll tell you why is so the guitar conversation we just had. So as I've started to progress and become a bit more fluent, I now there's a, a a guy I met here in town. His name's Jacob. a, A cool dude. He's a guitar player. He's got a great singing voice. And so we've been practicing a bunch. We've got a gig coming up that we're doing for a surprise birthday party in somebody's backyard on Tuesday. Nice. Like, That's and, cool, Brian. And the song Give Me Some Water by Eddie Money is one of the tunes that we're playing.
0: Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's so cool. Yeah. It's just so when I hear Take Me Home tonight, I just think of like, it was like me and my brother, and he was probably like 10 or something, you know, and I, or maybe he was younger than that. And, and so I was younger. Yeah. He was probably like eight and I was 12, and where I was like standing there. That's awesome. Anybody's Money's great. <laughs> That's so funny. It's great. All right, this is going to be hard. I'm not going to ask you which of your kids is your favorite. So don't <laughs> worry. I'm going to ask you
1: <laughs> that answer. Con- that answer would depend on the day of the week.
0: Yeah, but this is going to be like, do you have a favorite concert, or you can say more, more than one. But like, do you have a favorite concert or tour you went to?
1: Oh, wow. That's, I, I don't know that I can't answer that. I mean, I could say what my favorite uh, band was. I mean, I I followed the Grateful Dead around for a number of years and was able to see them more than 50 times before Jerry Garcia died. Nice. So That's awesome. That's at the top of my list. Yeah, they're at the top. But I've okay. seen so many, so many great concerts over the years.
0: Yeah, no, I yeah. get it. Yeah. Cool. All right. So first of all, before we do like the last, questions. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about that came or that
1: came up? Not that I can think of. We covered a lot of ground. Cool. Yeah.
0: And then I guess one thing I always like to ask people is just like, do you have any advice or mantra that you want to share that maybe you kind of lean on that, that you think would be good? I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I,
1: I, the only advice I have is advice that works for me. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it works for other people is up to them to decide. So I, I, I don't know that I'm in a position to give anybody else advice. I'm kind of figuring my own shit out. For me, I was able to, years ago, define kind of four things in my life that, that, mm-hmm. that bring me the most joy and fulfillment and that really, really matter. And number one is my family. Number two is doing meaningful work. Given how much time I spend working, I want to make sure that what I do serves others and brings me a sense of meaning. Number three is I've been really, really fortunate at different stages of my life to always have a buddy who's that sort of best friend companion. And while my wife is absolutely my best, best friend, it's also for me important to have sort of that that uh, male counterpart buddy and so i make time for i have a really good buddy that we've been friends for a long long time he's a really important part of my life and then fourth uh, is my hobby of of music of guitar so i i tend to try to keep my life really really simple Mm -hmm. spend time with my family do work that matters to me carve out time for my buddy and play guitar and like yeah that's kind of all i do i don't do a lot of other things And so for me, that works for me. So, you know, it creates clarity. It creates easiness. I know what I like. I don't have to go figure things out anymore. If you were to call me or email me or text me or stop by my house, chances are I am absolutely doing one of those four things. Spending time with my family, doing something with Anthem, playing guitar or hanging out with my buddy. And and that's it. That's about it.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, it's nice because... You're right. Like once you kind of know, then you can just pursue that and it makes it easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's an occasional thing that'll fall outside of it, but it's pretty rare.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I have a series of questions called the fun five. They're supposed to be fun. So the first one is like, what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear?
1: I mean, for sure. It's a grateful dead concert tee. It's one <laughs> of those, one of those t-shirts I bought in the parking lot, probably in 1989. Nice. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, those shirts last remarkably long, too. They're like, great. They're yeah. like the cheapest, and you're like, oh, okay. All right, so if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like people have been feeling, what song would you have your alarm clock set to play every morning?
1: For? That's a great question. Oh, my goodness. i probably have Truckin' by The Grateful Dead. All right. I was going to say Waterfalls by TLC, but then my other daughter would get really pissed at me because we have a song, too.
0: Oh, yeah, so yeah. don't do that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So coffee or tea or neither? Coffee. Coffee? Any and, uh, certain a lot way? I
1: love it. Black, dark, roast, heavy, muddy, no cream, no sugar. <laughs> you know, the thicker, the richer, the better. How do you I make would, your coffee? I have a Keurig machine. It's pathetic. Yeah. yeah. But like when I really want to treat myself, I'll go. Yeah. I go find the the thickest, darkest roast blend I can find. Nice. Yeah.
0: Can you remember a time that you laughed hard you cried or like something that makes you just lose it with laughter? I just always find these stories fun.
1: I'm sure it had something to do with my youngest daughter, who is a natural born comedian. There's been so many moments with her. She's 14 and she can deliver a one liner with the timing and fluidity of of Rodney Dangerfield. Like she's (laughs) so good. I'd have to really think about like a recent one, but she, she, she can crack me up in a second. It's she, she's, she's really funny. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah,
0: that's good. All right. And who inspires you right now? I get
1: inspired by my wife. I get inspired by my girls. I mean, uh, I, this last year, I've kind of been trapped in the house with them. I say trapped. And just seeing the way that they've responded individually and how we've responded as a family, I'm inspired by what we've done together. It's been, a, it's been again, I think the gift wrapping sucked, but the gift has been really great. And they uh, are all, all three of the the women that I live with are, are, are so unique in their own way. And we've had our breakdowns and our breakthroughs dealing with this last year, year and a half, whatever it's been. And yeah, they, they inspire me a lot.
0: Nice. Cool.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. So if people want to know more about you and I'll have links in the show notes, but where do you want them?
1: I would say, you know, probably the easiest thing is to just shoot me an email, which is brian at Life, and anthem is A-N-T-H-Y-M uh, and Brian is B-R-I-A-N, brian at Life, or, you know, you can certainly look me up on LinkedIn. I have my own website too. I don't go to it very often. I don't even, it's probably not updated, but it's brianmore.com. So okay. yeah. Yeah. Or smoke cool. signals, whatever.
0: <laughs> Anything. All right, yeah. cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Was, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah,
1: it was It was awesome. I enjoyed it as well.
0: Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about the guest in the show notes and at saidcom Joe Mafia created the music just for this podcast. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Metke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let me know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining finding yourself outside of work. Follow at More Than Work Pod or send a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Or visit our website, morethanworkpod.com. Give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review if you like. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.